Dan. Hello, Katie. And welcome, everyone. This is Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. Yeah, so today I'll be talking about someone because Dan got last week. That I did. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too because... When I gave you the clue about the person that it was, um, you guessed wrong. I did, completely wrong. I I missed out a very important piece of information that you gave me for some reason. So, yeah, I'm quite excited to teach you about this person. But anyway, what have you been up to this week? I've been extended from my my contract, which is nice. That is nice. Great news. I actually do have some work during all this craziness. I feel very lucky considering. Yeah, definitely. It is really good to have work, even if it's only part-time, which mine is. Yeah, something to keep you sane and in your flat (laughs) with money, which we need. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And Matt um, also still has work too, so we're both very lucky. It's a bit weird sitting next to each other and like working away and having like calls especially because i used to work where he worked oh yeah that's where you guys met isn't it he'll have like all staff meetings like (laughs) virtual staff meetings i'll just be hovering in the background like oh my god (laughs) i'm back yeah i've uh, started working in the bedroom so we're in separate rooms because otherwise yeah it just gets gets a bit crazy with everyone just doing meetings all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so what have you been up to same as last week i still haven't finished that goddamn game that i've been working on i kind of wish i never started it now because it's been <laughs> yeah. taking up so much of my time there's other things i want to be doing now i've kind of like had this contract extended like i'm not gonna have that much spare time like during lockdown so i'm not gonna actually be able to do any of the other stuff i wanted to do which is kind of annoying in a way what other stuff did you have on your to-do list uh i need to record some demos for like the band that i'm in which is a strange alter ego of mine i'm also in a grunge band as well as being a history geek i feel like some people think you have to either be one thing or another but i'm both a writer and a historian and you're both like that's true. A, a historian and a band band person, band yeah. guy. <laughs> um, I don't think you have to be one or the other. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Which is annoying. I wanted to get back into drawing as well. I've um, been doing a lot of drawing because I'm drawing the board for our board game. Oh yeah, how is that going? Yes, yeah, good actually. So um, I've done it's like based around a solar system. So I've done the planets now, and that's like putting them onto a background of like stars. Um, on, oh, cool. on Photoshop. Oh, wow. So you're doing like a full-on kind of like uploading it and digitalizing it. But he wanted to learn Photoshop, pro. so it kind of works. Um, and then we kind of have to create like the cards pack. So when you've got a board game, obviously you have all these different cards and we've got like seven different types of cards. <laughs> So at the moment, I've got a big old spreadsheet where I'm just creating all these cards. So that's the long bit. It's going to it's gonna take a while. How are you going to get them printed? Have you got like a really expensive, high quality industrial printer? <laughs> I've got a regular printer. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're just going to make like a prototype for us to play. And also we're going to get you and Paul and Emily to come and play it for us. Like, Yeah! <laughs> Sweet. Play test it once we're allowed to all get together. And this is finally over if it'll ever be over oh dear when are the zombies coming back yeah they're overdue we were promised zombies i i'm pretty sure that's the memo i got 
So yeah, I don't know. Did you uh, have you seen all the uproar today about Michael Goh's bookshelf? Um, oh, was that what it was about? I saw someone. I saw, I just saw like a like a furore on like Twitter, but I didn't really know what it was about. Something about books. Yeah. Is that what it was? He did. What, what happened? He did a uh, like a you know like a news segment or something in front of yeah. his bookshelf, and he had a couple of books that some people thought were questionable. One of them being Mine Camp. Ooh. And other books, one by David Irving. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so David Irving, for those who don't know, is a very famous Holocaust denier. However, I just want to say, I'm not defending Gove, but I have books of those nature. I have Mein Kampf, I have Eichmann's autobiography, and I have a book on Holocaust denial by Deborah Lipstadt, who read David Irving's book and talks about him that's because I am a holocaust historian and if I didn't yeah. own copies of those things I would be not doing my research properly so obviously yeah. if I did a press conference in front of my bookshelf it might look a bit weird too <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the one thing that obviously people would take into account is that they'd know I was a holocaust historian and that makes sense for me to have those things but also if he's going to do a press conference in front of his bookshelf, he probably just should have thought about that. Like, he probably should have thought, you know, like, what books should I stand in front of? Or yeah, just completely. don't. Just do it in front of, like, your fridge or something. It seems like everyone's doing it in front of their bookshelf, but they're trying to, like, show off. I don't know. Trying to, like, give the impression that they're, like, cultured. Uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, well, yeah, one context matters. So if you are like a his like a historian of the Holocaust, then obviously you're going to have that that sort of kind of like those kind of books around. Also, I mean, Mein Kampf and kind of like Eichmann's diary and stuff like that. That those are kind of like primary sources that do have historical value. The David uh, David Irving exactly. That's kind of like putting over a particular point of view. So I would say that that book is definitely worse than. I agree. Yeah, I think that having a, having a book by someone who has a point of view that is not only false, but like is very ferocious in his approach yeah. to it, is not a good thing because you're giving them money if you've got their book. Exactly. So what I've got is Deborah Lipsat's book on him, yeah, which is supporting her, and she's the probably the foremost academic on Holocaust denial probably in the world. Mm. So if anyone's interested in that for research purposes Deborah Lipstadt's book is the place to start and you can also read her book which is called it's either called Denial which is what the film was called or sometimes you'll find it as a Holocaust on Trial so yeah you could take a look at either of those books it's an amazing read she's a very amazing writer I just said I was a Holocaust historian but recently I've actually been calling myself a public historian because we're doing this podcast and a lot of my writing is more like for the public so I'm gonna transition into the calling myself a public historian I don't know what I call myself still a historian of the Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere I suppose (laughs) which is very very I mean it's a mouthful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You're a global historian. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess, like, it, my area kind of uh, does um, extend beyond just, like, the, the co-prosperity sphere. Gen- yeah, it's just generally kind of, like, decolonization in Asia that I'm interested in. So, yeah, global. Global will <laughs> do. Covers everything, doesn't it? Just... But you're also a public historian <laughs> because you're doing this podcast. Yes, this is true. And we Yay. said that we're definitely going to 
set up our other social medias by our 10th episode. So yeah. this is number that six, is the goal. so we're getting, we're getting close. close. <laughs> what have I been doing? Not loads apart from the board game stuff. Been doing a bit of writing, some blogs, quite a bit of reading actually. So Nice, what have you been reading? Still reading War Fall. I've also read a book called Duncan the Googlies, which is a children's book, which I've got a blog on. And I'm reading The Mystery of Henry Pick, which is a French novel which has been translated and starts off in this library, which is designed for books that haven't been published. So anyone who's written a book can go and put their book in this library. Oh, nice. So, yeah, that's pretty good as well. I like a kind of... This one is short. It's like a short book. It's not a novella. I think you have to be like under 100 pages or something to be a novella. I'm not sure exactly. But it's nice and short. So it's a bit of a break from Warfall. Yeah. I haven't really had like a chance to read a novel in ages. I last one I read, I think was probably a Warhammer one. <laughs> Age of oh, Sigma. Wow. Like, the lore is really good. Some some of the books are really terribly. Written. I assume you mean laws in L O R E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Not just like the, the law, the made up law of the land. <laughs> oh, law, that's just that's quite heavy. Yeah, I was I was thinking of being a lawyer before I became a historian. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I did consider it briefly. I was originally supposed to go to like Oxford Brooks to do law. But then I changed. Wow. And look oh, where you are now. What a path that could have yeah. been. Yeah. Th- thank God I didn't go down that route. Yeah. You've been an ass. <laughs> that could have been you, Dan. That could have been me. I wonder what life would be like if I'd gone out. Would I be more anxious or would I be less anxious? Definitely more anxious. This is why yeah. I love... But you'd be better at hiding Yeah, this is it, why right? I love academia. Because I feel like everybody I meet has anxiety like me. So it's fine. Yeah. I feel like more normal in academia. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah, it's just as a profession, it's just yeah, more geared to these kinds towards of, nerds. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, anxiety during the age of coronavirus is probably a subject we should uh, cover on this podcast at some point. Yeah, but it's weird. I haven't been dedicate some I time to it. Haven't been that bad, but when it when I get it, it gets even worse because I can't like just go out. Exactly. I think that's yeah, I've had a couple problem. of episodes. But... Yeah. Yeah. I can't just like call someone and be like, "Let's go to the cinema," or I can't just go for a nice big walk. I mean, I can still go for a walk, but you know, what if I've already been there for my walk that day? Exactly. Harsh times. Uh, so, shall we talk about your person? Let's talk about my person. So, Dan, have you ever heard of Ada Lovelace? I have not, actually. Well, you are in for a treat. Nice. So A newbie. This is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while. Ada Lovelace was born in 1815, and she was born Augustina Byron. So who's her father? Ah, intriguing. Lord Byron. Really? Yeah. So the poet and libertine Lord Byron is her father. Her mother is Anne Elizabeth Noel Byron, and... Soon after her birth, like five weeks after their birth, her parents separated. So Ada Lovelace was the only legitimate child of Lord Byron. Uh, Okay, then. So basically what happened was Lord Byron was having an affair with this married woman called Caroline Lamb. 
course he was. One of many. Because she she was married, he was like, how about I just marry her cousin? So he proposes marriage to her cousin, um, Anne Milbank. Did did they look particularly similar? Oh, I don't know, actually. I don't know if it's like looks, maybe he was just like, you know what, I'll go for the next best thing. <laughs> or is that just like a way in like he can yeah i have no idea that means like he has an excuse to be hanging around the other um, one um well basically after this marriage happened caroline was like really annoyed and started spreading like all sorts of true and false rumors about lord byron um so Anne married byron they had ada and then five weeks later they split up so that wasn't you know didn't last very long <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was an heiress and she was very very mathematically minded so she oh, married the poet who was a libertine that yeah. didn't work out and at that time if a couple separated it was more usual than not that the father would get custody but no one's going to give Byron custody well trial, they might have done that. if he hadn't basically said like no he didn't want anything to do with her yeah. so he like dropped all claim to her and basically Anne left Byron took Ada with her um and he never saw her again ever, ever. never laid eyes no, on he her he actually left the country Jeez. after that so just burgered off to Italy to to liberty to liberty <laughs> to poet <laughs> and libertine um yes so Ada was raised by her mother and they weren't at all very close. In fact, they were had a really strained relationship. But her grandmother really, really took care of her and doted on her, adored her. So she was kind of raised by both of them. But at the time, it wasn't good to be seen as like a bad mother. So in public, she presented mm. herself as a really loving mother and sent all these like letters asking about her welfare to the grandmother and told her to keep them just in case there was ever like a custody battle and it was like (laughs) that's so weird so yeah but she did do one thing that was good for ada she engaged tutors to teach her maths and science which is obviously it's (laughs) gonna be well one of them was augustus de morgan celebrated mathematician um and we'll get back to him a bit later because it's a very important name in her like studies Mm-hmm. Um, from the age of five, she was working on maths. Oh, when wow. she was 13, she basically worked out what we call bod maths now, or bid maths. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. No idea. So it's like the way that you do calculations. So if you've got like five times three plus four, do you do the times first or the plus first? Oh, okay then. The brackets. The order of operations, exactly. <laughs> and she worked that out at 13 and she worked out why you do it in that way. Oh, wow. I know. So that's like her level of brain yeah. power. <laughs> <laughs> but her mother wasn't like convinced that she was all goodness. So her mother was like asking her friends to keep an eye on Ada because she really thought that Byron-esque tendencies... Oh, we're right. gonna like seep into her life and she was gonna Just become like, like a party girl <laughs> yeah well he was like purported to actually be like insane oh okay then because caroline the woman he had had an affair with was spreading <laughs> all these rumors and it was hard to see which ones were true and which ones weren't 
So she spread rumours of infidelity, which were definitely true, uh-huh. both heterosexual and homosexual infidelity, mm-hmm. but also incest with his half-sister. I so see. So hard to know which ones are true and which <laughs> ones aren't, but we'll get on to that. So she wasn't just like a tiger mum that wanted her to study all the time and not... It was like she actually genuinely thought she was going to be insane. Yeah, I think it was probably a little of both. I think it was a very <laughs> strained relationship, but also I think her mother kind of didn't really want anything to do with her because she might be like Byron. Oh, okay then. So it's a bit of a weird one. However, she might not have been wrong because when she was quite young, she did have an affair with one of her tutors and tried to run away with him. So Intriguing. <laughs> maybe she was right. However, that didn't go didn't go well and they hid it from the public. So um she was a very sickly child. She had headaches and she had the measles when in 1829 mm-hmm. and she was in bed for nearly a year oh yikes That's uh, when she was this is when she was 14 impressive that she survived though because like n- back then measles is just like proper death sentence yeah absolutely i mean it's lucky that she survived and also that she was able to study from her bed ah. so one of the things that she concentrated on of course, as well as maths, was that she wanted to work out how to design mechanical objects and she wanted to be able to fly, which is kind of like, it's kind of nice for someone who's like bedridden and can't do yeah, anything yeah. to want to fly. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Um. So she decided she would design her own flying machine. Oh, nice. So she first designed the wings and she was like, study and research the anatomy of birds <laughs> and wrote a book called Flyology with illustrations. How old is she now? 14. <laughs> <laughs> is this book available? Like, I think so, yeah. It's probably really? out of print, but you can. it's probably in an archive somewhere. Oh, wow. And there are, there are some pictures online. I'll post some in Twitter. Uh, she also wrote that she would need a compass so you could fly the most direct route. And she said that it would be powered by steam. Oh. So obviously this machine wasn't made, mm-hmm. but 40 years later, a steam-powered flying machine would actually lift off in 1874. Oh, wow. So she wasn't wrong. Did uh, whoever designed the steam flying machine, did they nab any ideas of her? I don't think so. I think okay, it probably then. wasn't like known at that time. Yeah. But I could be wrong. So someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um. Okay, so have you ever heard of Mary Somerville? No, I can't Okay, say. this is another badass woman from the world of STEM. But oh, Mary Somerville became one of Ada's tutors. Mm-hmm. Um, and at 17, she introduced Ada to Charles Babbage, the famous mathematician. So Charles Babbage was obsessed by calculating machines. Mm-hmm. He never actually built one, but he had a lot of designs and he was like the ideas man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually did make one of his machines after his death. Oh, all right. So they did actually work. Um, but his big idea was his analytical machine, which he never actually built, but it was like, the first mechanical calculator. Oh, cool. Um, and Ada was shown it and she completely understood like everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And this was the earliest machine to ever be classed as a calculator. Mm-hmm. So basically, she kind of took it 
she took for granted how it would work and there's no explanation of how it would work. They only used like examples. It had like these hundreds of these little cards and each of these cards had a number on them and then you could input the calculation and the cards would like produce the answer. Okay. But there was no actual like explanation of how it would work. There was only examples. But then in 1936, Turing actually proved it would work. Oh, right. So that was the basis for the... The Enigma machine. It was definitely like there in his brain, I think, when he was making the Enigma machine. But he, yeah, he was the one that proved it would actually work. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Ada began to teach maths and she also began to move in the same like social circles Babbage, which included a lot of like 19th century intellectuals such as Charles Whetstone and Charles Dickens. Cool. Um, at 18, she was introduced to Euclidean geometry, but the tutor that was teaching her like Euclidean geometry kind of ran out of things to teach her after a couple of weeks because she picked it up so quickly. <laughs> um, when she was 17, she was presented at court, which is a thing that still happened. And she spent a lot of time at court. And she actually got married to William VIII Baron King in 1835. Then in 1838, he became Baron Lovelace. Ah, so... Hence Ada Lovelace. Oh, okay then. It makes sense now. It all makes sense. So, yeah, by 1838 she's married and she's the Countess Lovelace and she had three children called Byron, Anne Isabella and Ralph Gordon. Ah, so she did name one after her father despite having never seen him ever again. Yeah, I think she was actually really taken with the idea of being this poet's daughter. So from 1845, the family's main house was East Horsley Towers, which was rebuilt in the Gothic Victorian fashion by the architect of the Houses of Parliament, Charles Barry. Ah. So they were a well-off family. Mm -hmm. um, And this was one of only three of the houses. Oh, wow. So, however, after her daughter was born, Anne Isabella... Ada was very sick and she took another month to get well. So, you know, not studying and working at that time. Uh, She was also said to have a number of affairs during her marriage, just like her father. (laughs) And she had a passion for gambling and she wanted to use her math skills to work out like a winning formula. I was about to say, she's probably pretty good at that. Um, well, she wasn't. Oh, okay then. <laughs> and she lost thousands of pounds. <laughs> so maths isn't a skill that necessarily... No, uh... no she didn't do very well on that. She um, she had to admit to her husband that she'd lost like £3,000. Oh, yikes. That is big yeah. money in those times. Uh, absolutely. So that wasn't very good. And then... She was told by her mother that her father and his half-sister, Augustina Lee, had had a child together called Elizabeth. So the rumours about him and his incestuous affair with his half-sister were actually true. Um, Ada didn't blame her father, though. She blamed Augustina, saying that she was wicked. Um, So, yeah, she still held on to this, like, romanticised idea of her father. Ah, women turning on women. So after um, Ada got well from her bowel illness after she gave birth to Anne, she decided she wanted to start working again on her maths. So, just as a little side note for the the historical sources part of this um, ramble, um, Lady Byron, as in her mother, kept 
everything. And in the Bodleian Library in Oxford, there are 470 boxes of materials to do with family papers of the Byrons. So everything from like really personal letters to like bills, there's like everything. So two years ago, three authors decided they would look at these boxes um, and write a book about it. So this is Christopher Hollings, Ursula Martin and Adrian Rice. They found 354 folios of maths books. Oh, wow. And 66 preserved letters between Ada Lovelace and her tutor, De Morgan, who I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. So in 1839, she wanted to get back into studying and was introduced to De Morgan, who taught at UCL, which is still UCL oh. now. But of course, she couldn't just rock up to UCL and study under him because she was a woman. Yeah. So they did basically what you might call a distance learning degree (laughs) (laughs) in that they wrote letters to each other and he taught her via these letters um, basically a whole degree's worth of maths. Oh, oh, cool. So between June of 1840 and December 1841, she studied this a whole degree in maths basically via letters and by the end of 1841... She's basically qualified in maths, but not literally because she couldn't actually go to university being a woman. Because society was a bastard. Yep, absolutely. These amazing authors who have written this book, the first thing they needed to do with these letters was put them in chronological order. And I listened to a very interesting lecture by them about the book. And they were saying how she had a really bad tendency to write the date at the top of the letter, but not the year. So they had to like work out the year. Or she would write like, Tuesday evening. <laughs> and she, he's like, what Tuesday? Like, I don't know. So they'd have to, like, work out from the replies where <laughs> everything went in chronological order. So um, they eventually did, and they saw a very clear progression through the correspondence of her work. Oh, cool. Also in these boxes were, like, other scribbles of things from, like, her and Babbage working on, like, other maths problems. There's a maths problem called the Seven Bridges of Coinsburg. Have you ever heard of this? It's a, it's like a maths problem where you have to connect the dots without going over yourself and without taking your pen off the page. Okay. There's kind of, there's one with a box, which is a simpler version, where you have to draw a box with a line through Uh it without going over yourself. Okay. This is a very complicated version of that. So they found, like, scribbles of her working that out. And other things to do with, like, Pythagoras and other things to do with different various maths problems. So they've got all these, like, documents. So after her so-called degree (laughs) was over, she kind of looked around for other things to study. And we know from listening to this podcast, but also other places, that Ada Lovelace was known as the first computer programmer. But why does she get that accolade? Yeah, because this is hundreds of years before the... We're going to find that <laughs> out right now. So in 1843, she published a translation on an invention of an analytical machine by an Italian inventor, Luigi Menabrera, to which Ada added lots of notes. So his pages mm-hmm. were 20 pages and her notes were 40 pages. So her notes were like longer than his <laughs> actual paper. And the notes included the first description of a stepwise sequence of operations, an algorithm. Oh, wow. Okay. For solving certain mathematical problems. So what it actually solved was the Bernoulli numbers. 
um, which is a very complicated thing to talk about. So, <laughs> so the Bernoulli numbers are a sequence of signed rational numbers that can be defined by the exponential function. So basically, they're used in trigonometry and they're extremely important for like number theory and analysis. If you really want to know the first number is 1, then it's plus or minus a half, then it's plus 0.16, and then it's 0. Those are the four, four numbers in the Bernoulli sequence. But if you've seen an exponential graph, you can think of it like that. Okay. So the machine that she actually talks about there, in her lifetime it was never completed or tested, but her ideas were like visionary, and this is the first ever mm -hmm. algorithm to be published. And that's why she gets this accolade for being the first computer programmer. And it does work as well, because otherwise it could have been rubbish, yeah. but it does actually work. So a lot of people say that she's so visionary because she has the genetic mathematical mind of her mother, but also the poetic mind of her father, Byron. And these two things like combined together mm -hmm. made her like this amazing mind. Yeah. For example, she talks about Babbage's engine and how it could potentially compose music. I mean, no one had ever thought that machines would be able to compose music. Mm. And nowadays, obviously, that happens all the time. Yeah. So she was already like 100 years ahead of everyone else in her mind. She was the first person to articulate how symbols could represent things that weren't just numbers. If that makes sense. Hence, computer programming. She also talked about how computers could be used outside of mathematics in this paper. And she talked about how Babbage's invention, which he never actually made, um, could be used for things like poetry. In this paper, she also talked about the idea of AI. Mm -mm. She did not like the idea of AI. <laughs> she didn't think it could originate anything <laughs> like past what we order it to do. She said, the analytical engine has no pretensions whatever to originate anything. It can do whatever we know how to order it to perform. It can follow analysis, but it has no power of anticipating any analytical relations or truths. Um, later on, Alan Turing took these ideas and talked about them in his paper, Can Computers Think? Mm -hmm. So her ideas are still being thought about up until Turing and beyond. Yeah, still being thought about now. Like, can artificial intelligence become self-aware? Hopefully not. Is it possible? But I don't know. Have you seen the amazing documentary on the computer that played that game of Go? No. It's called AlphaGo. I think it's on YouTube. And Go is like a really, really complicated game. Mm. So chess, can you can be beaten by a computer easily yeah. because there's only a certain number of moves that you can make in chess. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Go, there's like a gajillion amount of moves you could make. Yeah. And this documentary shows how this computer could beat, like, the world champion in Go. Oh, wow. And everyone was freaking That's out. That's kind of crazy. Because it's like, this computer can think. <laughs> we'll get back <laughs> to AI at some point, I'm sure. Okay, she also wanted to look at the brain and think about the maths of the brain and what made people mad. And she even carried out research into electricity and how it affected the brain. As part of the research, she visited an electrical engineer called Andrew Cross in 1844 to learn how to carry out electronic experiments. Oh, wow. So she was really, like, into the idea of this. So was she performing autopsies? 
<laughs> oh god, I hope not. She's not qualified for that. <laughs> Gauging those body snatches. <laughs> she visited the Great Exhibition in 1851. Okay. But unfortunately, she didn't get to complete any of these projects I just talked about because she got really sick. So Ada Lovelace died at the age of 36. No way. On the 27th of November, 1852, from uterine cancer. Well, they think it's uterine cancer, wasn't diagnosed at the time, which is the same age that Byron had died at when she was eight years old. Oh, yikes. Um, So her mother took complete control of her life when she was sick and persuaded her to repent and to make her the executor of her will. Repent? Yeah, like with a priest. Oh, my God. For all her philandering and gambling and stuff. It is said that while she was on her deathbed, she made a confession to her husband, which made him abandon her, but it isn't known what she told him. Oh, what? I know, right? I want to know. There must be a record of this somewhere. <laughs> I'm so desperate <laughs> to know. Um, so she was buried beside her father in Nottinghamshire. Um, so that's a great indication of how much she actually did admire him. Yeah, she never, never lost that, despite, despite everything. So in the 1970s, people started to like put her down based on like not very much at all, saying that she wasn't a great as mind as she was. <laughs> but this has since been completely flipped. Um, she is remembered in STEM, especially in female circles. The Crossrail in London has a machine called Ada, like a tunneling machine. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> since uh, 1998, the British Computer Society has awarded a medal in her name. And in 2008, there became an annual competition for women studying computer science. Oh, nice. Ada Lovelace Days in October to raise the profile of females in STEM. And I think the most important thing that has happened is that the Queen's first Instagram post was about Ada Lovelace. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a letter from Babbage, Charles Babbage, to the Queen's great-great-grandfather enclosing the paper that she wrote in 1843. (laughs) So cool. that is Ada Lovelace in a nutshell. Oh, nice. I did that in like half an hour. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I knew beforehand that she was an awesome like mathematician, computer scientist. But I think the really interesting thing here was that really she's famous for writing one paper. Yeah. Because that one paper c- contained the first ever algorithm. Yeah. So I think that's like astounding that obviously she was famous also for being Byron's daughter. Mm-hmm. But like that's astounding that you can be known as like one of the biggest female names in STEM. Yeah. For writing one paper. I guess it was uh it just shows how kind of um groundbreaking that, that theory was. Yeah, of course. And it was the first like computer algorithm. So without that we might have never progressed. Obviously, Charles Babbage had like a big hand in that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people were getting so like antsy in 1970, being like, oh, yeah. it was all Babbage. But actually, that didn't come from his brain. Yeah, yeah. It, it came from her brain. Yeah. And yeah, she studied under like amazing people. So they had a hand in it too. But, you know, it was her work. That's her one great song. I cannot believe she died when she was 36. That's so sad. Yeah, that's crazy. There's so much more she could have uh, achieved. Yeah, think about the stuff she could have done. So there are actually unpublished papers by her as well. Yeah. About other things um, to do with maths, the brain, electricity, music, poetry, all sorts of things, mainly maths and computing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
that's incredible. Yeah, sad. Those are some interesting things, like the ability of a computer to compose music and poetry. Like, um, I think I always think that's debatable because surely creativity has to come from what we could term a human soul in the non-religious sense. Yeah, I guess it's a hard one because if you're talking about, let's say, let's say poetry, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all the best poetry comes from someone who has something to say about something. Yeah. And surely computers don't have the ability to say anything about anything because yeah. they don't have those lived experiences. Mm-hmm. But then if you did input into a computer, like, I don't know, like a diary or something, yeah, would it not be able to come up with the same poetry that you could come up with? It has more vocabulary than you do. Uh... So it's an interesting debate. It is interesting. Yeah. Could it get a sense of feeling from a diary? Exactly. I don't know. You'd have to also input your feelings. Yeah. Like I wrote a poem recently about like a funeral that I went mm-hmm. to. And how can a computer ever know how what it's like to be at a funeral? Like yeah. what it is to like grieve or what it is to be like a little bit like unsure of how whether you're meant to be there. It's mm. kind of what the poem is about. So it's like, yeah, it's a weird one. I don't know. I I think that I don't think computers will ever be able to feel. Yeah. But all the things that we output from our feelings, could they not output that if as long as we imported our feelings into the computer in some way? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like even if we did import it. I mean, I guess what's kind of what makes art interesting is even as humans who have those kind of emotions, we have trouble enough expressing those emotions, which is why great art becomes great art, because that is as close a representation of those emotions as as we feel we're going to get as a human race. Uh, if a computer can't even fit, like, even input it... But yes, like, surely we wouldn't even be able to input our feelings, like, adequately into a computer for them to then recreate. Yeah, I don't think so. I agree with you. I mean, I yeah, I don't want to think that a computer could think because then yeah. what's the point in our lives? Yeah. Basically. I don't know why I'm like somewhere between a rationalist and an empiricist. I'm like a Kantian. <laughs> I believe that we are born with the capacity to experience and then we learn through experience. Yeah. That's like the Kantian view of knowledge. But I don't know about like spiritual I pretty sure we don't have a soul but i'm yeah, slightly yeah. unsure so i was think of so yeah soul in a non-religious yeah yeah totally experience yeah but yeah i suppose unless yeah unless computers become self-aware and then of course they have the capacity to feel so ada lovelace would say that yeah we we I think her point was, what the point I was just making, is that a computer's only ever going to know what we input into it. Yeah, this is true. So that's true, but I think she would be shocked to come back now and see how much we can actually input mm-hmm. into a computer. And also, I'd love to her to see what impact she's had. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, as well as the lecture that I watched, which is on YouTube, um, if you type in, like, CHM Ada Lovelace, you'll get it. Um, a lot of this also came from Jenny Murray's awesome book, which is called um, 21 Women That Changed Britain. Okay. Or That Shaped Britain. If you type in Jenny Murray, 21 Women, you'll get <laughs> it. Um, yeah, so it's got a lot of 
awesome women in there, including A. Lovelace, including Bodicea. Oh, nice. I'll look this up. Including, yeah, Elizabeth I and lots of other cool people to learn about. Sweet. So what are you doing this evening? I'm going to cook after this. Make some dinner. I'm making st- Me too. teriyaki salmon. Nice. I mean, it's not to my taste. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Being vegetarian. Um, yeah, we're going to make stir fry and... I might do some more reading. Ah, very nice. Maybe some maybe some editing of this if you can send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I will do I will do instantly. Instantly. Instant sending. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day we'll be in the same room again. <laughs> uh but we should also mention while we're here the places that people can find our other stuff because we've mentioned the podcast Twitter, which is at have you ever pod. But I'm also on Twitter. Um, at Katie writes about, and so are you. I am at Dan Subterranean. That's that's why I think I'm called. Yeah, that is what I'm called. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find him through me. It's fine. Also, I have a blog, katiewritesabout.com. So you should check all of those things out right now, immediately, and subscribe. <laughs> yes, you should. To this podcast on all you of the should. platforms. Oh, speaking of subscribing to podcasts, have you listened to my other podcast yet, Dan? No, not yet. I will do. I <sighs> promise. You should. Listen, you can listen to this episode because the next episode that's coming out is about Throne of Blood. Oh, nice. So I've got another podcast, everyone, called The Scottish Film, which is about filmic adaptations of Macbeth, all of which I am watching. <laughs> and we've just done one about Throne of Blood by Akira Kurosawa. So once you finish listening to this podcast, you can go listen to that one. There is an incredible amount of adaptations of that film. There are 24. play, rather. <laughs> 24 so far. <laughs> and there's just going to be more. Are you including TV series in that as well? Are there any TV series? We are not including TV series. We're including TV made-for-TV movies. Okay, then. But not TV series. I'm trying to think of like spoof ones that have existed. Did Blackadder do something? Well, okay. So when we looked up adaptations of Macbeth, it was actually suggested that you should do the first season of Blackadder <laughs> um, because it, it yeah, kind yeah. of follows a similar pattern. But we're going to leave that until the end, <laughs> until we've like literally run out of films to do. Um, and there's also The Penny Dreadfuls do um, one called Donald Bain. Oh, nice. Poor old Donald Bain, often left out of the film because he's like a complete nothing character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite fun. It's good fun while we're all locked in our houses. Yeah, got to find this thing to keep us sane. Bye! Bye.